0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 3 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. How are we doing? Everyone enjoy that extra hour of sleep this morning? Good. Um, well, as, Sam, as Sam's talking, and he's talking about how thankful he is for me to come up and do this one week, I just want to take a minute to say how thankful uh, I am for guys like Pastor Sam um, for getting up here and week by week faithfully Uh, trying to proclaim God's word from the text uh, to illuminate Christ in the text. And um, it really is a pleasure for me to get up here and try to carry some of that burden so they can focus um, more fully on the other responsibilities that God has called them to. So I'm not a vocational pastor. Um, And for those of you who don't know me, um, again, I'm Eric Olson. Um, Me and my wife, Tony, we serve... Uh, over at Sacred City in Davenport as, like Sam said, uh, not only deacons, but also as uh, missional community leaders of the Northridge uh, community in Bettendorf. And uh, for about the past two years, on top of all of that, we've been, I've been investing in uh, what's what we call a Preaching Lab, which is a uh, once-a-month gathering where we take men who maybe feel that they're called to preach God's Word um, or at least want to check it out and give them a chance to develop it. let them give it a go and uh, out of that, this is now my fourth time actually getting before god 's people and having a chance to to preach his word um, and try to illuminate Christ in the text so um, I feel like each time i 've done it though they 've kind of stepped up the bar on me um, with with more difficult texts, more difficult passages, um, as you heard this morning um, and out of all of, all, all of the four that I've done, um, this one is actually the one I'm most excited to preach, not because I feel like I'm nailing it, not because I understand this text um, and, and feel like it's the easiest one to understand, actually quite the opposite. Um, the reason why I'm excited to preach this text um, is because when I first got it, when, when Pastor Sam first gave it to me and said, here, uh, this, is, this is what we want you to preach on, um, I, I was like, nah, not, n- no thanks. Um, But I'll tell you, God has met me in the preparation of this message in ways um, that has made my calling as a husband more clear, has made my wife's calling as a wife more clear, and has made the gospel more beautiful in our sight. Um, So I just want to say, this text in specific, um, although when you first look at it, can be a little bit frightening, actually... Uh, has a ton of things in it that are very relevant for today's modern marriages, as well as pictures the marriage that we all actually long for. Um, But for me to be able to do that this morning, um, we need God and his spirit to come and meet me. So I actually ask that you'd pray with me again, um, and then we'll jump into it. Father... um, I have a sense of my weakness this morning, my inability to do all you've called me to do. Um, I sense it, and I need help, um, Father. I pray uh, that you would come and meet me uh, with your Spirit. That you would come and um, open hearts to receive this word. Um, that you would um, really just show up and uh, do what I am incapable of doing—changing hearts, um, changing minds—and. And, and making yourself known and glorified in this place. So, Father, I pray that you would take all the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and make them acceptable in your sight. And I pray that you'd do it for the, for the glory, of your no, uh, glory of your name and the joy of this church. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, for the last three months now, we've been working through the book of 1 Peter, a letter that was written As Peter says in the first verse of the first chapter, to elect exiles of the dispersion. And Peter opens the letter by reminding God's people of all they are in Christ, what their identity is, completely by the acts of God. Then in verse 13 of the first chapter, he begins to call them to live like the people of God. He began to take all the indicatives, the things indicating what God has done on their behalf. And he begins to lay out for them imperatives, things that now they are called to do as God's people, fueled by the indicatives of what God has already done. We've seen that God takes a people that aren't like he is and transforms them through the gospel, people who are living in ignorance and the passions of their flesh, and he calls them instead to live as he is, to display his character to the world. And this is the call of verse 11 and 12 of the second chapter. Verse 2, 12 of 1 Peter reads, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now it's interesting, isn't it? God says live holy lives among the Gentiles or as we'd say, unbelievers. And although they may look at you and call you evildoers, they would actually come to worship God through it. And over the past few weeks now, Peter has actually gotten practical with us in showing us how a holy people, made made holy by a holy God, are called to respond in holy ways to even unholy authority. He says, this is how you respond to a government that maybe doesn't believe as you do. This is how you respond at work as an employee under a boss that maybe doesn't believe as you do, even if you're mistreated on the basis of your beliefs. And now today, Peter is going to um, show us that um, this, today's text, uh, is, is about shining the light of the gospel in your marriage. To your spouse. So if you haven't already, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the third chapter of 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now we get a sense right away of the continuations of, the, of Peter's thought with this word, likewise. But that begs the question, likewise to what? See, Peter is saying that in the same way all of God's people are called to subject the authority of the government, and the same way that servants are called to be subject to their masters, Peter's now saying that wives are to subject themselves to the authority of their own husbands. Now, before we get too far, let me clear up some important things of what that does not mean. Peter here is not calling all women to be subject to all men in general. He's calling them to be specifically subject to their own husbands. And also, Peter is not saying that the relationship between a husband and wife is exactly the same as the relationship between government and citizen. It's not the same as as the um, relationship between boss and employee, but Peter is saying that there is a proper authority, and it's and it's structured in those other arenas just as it is in marriage for the flourishing and order of humanity. That the husband has been given an authority which the wife should, should subject herself to. Now listen. I know upon hearing that, there might be some objections already going on. And to be honest, I understand them. See, most of the people I talk to say, to to say that one spouse has authority and the other should put themselves under that is to say that that person who, who is called to submit inherently has less value, dignity, and worth. To say that the wife is to be subject to the husband is to say that the husband has inherently more value, more worth than the wife. Now hear me, this, this is not in the mind of Peter at all. See, Peter did not have this in his mind when he called Christians to s- submit to the government, government and societal authorities. He, he was not saying, by doing so, you're admitting less value than the government. And he surely did not have in mind that the Christian servant... By taking the position of submission to their masters, was in any way admitting less value than the masters they served. And I think this is partially why Peter gives us the picture of Jesus' submission and his posture as a servant between these calls of submission, between the the impersonal types, the government and our boss, and the real personal types, those of our spouse. Peter says, look at Jesus. Though containing more value in himself than any human that would come before or would come after, he lays down his will. He did not look to assert his value, but confidently submitted, entrusting himself to the just judge, God in heaven. To say that the wife being called to submit must point to her having less value, now hear me, would have tremendous implications on the submission of Jesus. It would be terrible theologically to think that Jesus submitting had anything to do with him having less value. And so now the wife here should not look at it through that lens. Wives, hear me. The call to submission has nothing to do with your value compared to your husband. It has to do with displaying the value you've found in your Savior, the value you've found in Christ because he's counted you first as valuable. So this is the call to the wife, to show the surpassing value of Christ through intentionally submitting your will to the husband's will in every way that does not cause you to sin. Now hear that, ladies. Submit your will to your husband's will. What this verse is not saying is to submit yourself, your body, your person, to your husband's sin. Let me be as clear about this as I can. This verse is not calling wives to submit to the abusive, sinful tendencies of any man, period. If you are in an abusive situation... You need to get yourself to safety, and you need to do what you can to get your husband or your boyfriend help. And listen, that may, in, that may involve calling the authorities, as Peter told us, the government authorities that are there to subdue, the, to subdue evil, uh, the evil of wicked men. Now, I could spend the rest of my time on this point alone, but I'm not going to. So if I haven't been as clear as I, as I intend to be, or if you find yourself in this situation, do me a favor, grab Pastor Sam, grab your MC leader, grab myself after service, and let us help you. So Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, or as we said, in any way that doesn't lead you to sin, yield your will. Willfully lay down the will, your will, to the will of your husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This is not a verse that is opening up the door to missional dating. Single ladies, hear me we don't submit to a man who hasn't put a ring on it. And we don't let him put a ring on it until we've seen a demonstrated, faithful character and hope in God. But see, what was going on here in this text is in exile, some of the the women were being won to Christ, but their husbands were remaining in unbelief. These men heard the gospel proclaimed, but they were rejecting it. So Peter says, wives, don't keep trying to pasture your husband into belief. Don't try to parent him into belief. Show him the gospel. He says, show him Jesus. Don't make your aim to change your husband through trying to conform him, but rather display for him the way Christ is reforming you as important as the act of submitting your will to your husband is, Peter says is how you do it. He says do it with respect and purity. Now this idea of respect here is the idea of honoring your husband with high regard or reverence. Ladies, do you understand the amount of influence the way you view your husband has on him? Now listen, listen, I hope I do a good job here this morning. I hope that I'm able to illuminate the text in ways uh, that is both faithful and clears away some of the fog that this text can often bring. I hope that as I, as I shake hands, as people are leaving, that I don't hear a lot of, you know, maybe give up on this whole preaching thing, bro. This isn't for you. I hope I hear genuinely positive responses. But see, on my way home, you know what I'm gonna be thinking about? whether the, all the responses I get here are positive, my thought is going to be, man, I, I wonder what Tony thought. How did how does she respond? And the way that she greets me when I walk in the door, whether this thing turns out poorly or it turns out uh, as good as I could hope, will have a tremendous impact on me, more than anything that happens here, any words I hear on the way out. Her lone voice, the way she greets me, will have much more impact. Now, I'm not saying that wives need to learn to lie to their husbands. (laughs) Right? It's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is it's important to be thoughtful, to honor and respect your husband, even when, and especially when, they get it wrong. Even when they load the dishwasher wrong even when they forget to pick up milk on the way home from work. See, what Peter's calling wives to here is to show their husbands the same grace, honor, and respect as Jesus showed you. Show him honor. Don't just tell him about Jesus. Show him the grace that Jesus has has given you. And see, to walk this out, Peter's going to say that this requires that you pursue beauty, but not the beauty that the culture is telling you to pursue. What Peter's going to say is that in order to live this out faithfully, wives are going to have to pursue beauty that is internal and works its way out rather than external and try to have it transform your beauty inside. Peter's going to say that wives are going to need to focus on adorning themselves not externally, but eternally. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Now, Peter here is not forbidding the wearing of jewelry, the doing of your hair, the putting on of clothes. Thankfully, he's not <laughs> forbidding that. But what, what Peter's saying here isn't actually a prohibition at all. It's an exhortation it's a call for women to let the primary way they strive to be beautiful, not by what they put on their bodies, but rather what they have in their hidden person, what comes out from their heart. He's saying the primary way to seek beauty for the wife, and I'm going to say all women, should look different than what the culture is promoting. Now, ladies, hear me. I can't imagine what it's like to be you. Right, there's like 40 different versions of beautiful that the culture's trying to promote. From the soccer mom that has to put in three hours just to make it look like she doesn't care, to the woman going out on the town who has to put in a ton of effort to make it look like she just naturally woke up like that. And the culture is pressing down on you in ways that I can't imagine. Because what do guys get? We get dad bod, right? This idea that, that, that women's value comes on who they are externally is incredibly oppressive. And I can actually see ways that my four-year-old daughter, she's four, is picking up on this already. Ladies, that's a prison. And so what Peter's doing here is he's pleading with you, put your focus not where the culture is trying to get your eyes. Put your energy into adorning with the imperishable beauty of the inner person, where God's eyes are. Adorn yourselves in ways that God finds precious with a gentle and quiet spirit. So let's talk about this gentle and quiet spirit. Is Peter saying... That what God really finds precious is an awe-shocks, bless your heart, silent type of woman. No, not at all. In fact, gentle and quiet are not biblically feminine qualities exclusively. They're Christ-like qualities. The word used here for gentle is the same word that is used in Matthew eleven twenty nine when it speaks of Jesus, when he says. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And Jesus says that by doing so, you will find rest for your souls. Not a constant striving. Not a constant work. Not, not again, what the culture is promoting that, man, you need this cream. You need this, this makeup. All of these things will complete the look And finally give you what you're after, that value. See, to adorn yourself with gentleness means to put on Jesus. Adorn yourselves with the qualities of Christ, especially in your submission. Now listen, it's important that we get the full weight of what this word gentle means here. It doesn't mean soft. Jesus was anything but soft. What it literally means here in the Greek is a subdued power, a confidence that isn't pushy for its own way. See, taking up the yoke of Jesus, being united with Christ through faith, it, who is himself gentle, will create in you a gentle heart. Why? Because in the gospel, in that, in that union with Christ, your value has been established. It's been fixed. It's, it's not, in fl- not in flux. See, what God finds that is beautiful is not a woman who's trying to calm the anxiety of her heart by trying to measure up to the impossible standard that culture is trying to lay on you. See, her hope is not in being a good enough mother in her achievements, or even in her external beauty. What God finds precious is a woman whose heart is adorned with gentleness, a powerful confidence experienced by finding her identity fully in Christ. And biblical quietness is not silence, but a peaceful disposition, because her deepest desires have been satisfied by her God. This means, ladies, that we are going to need to put our eyes on different models. Instead of looking to models of the faith, Peter's going to say we need to look to models of the faith. Verse 5, he says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, hear me, wives. You are daughters of Abraham by faith in God. And you show yourselves to be daughters of Sarah. You show yourselves to be like her when your faith plays itself out in the ways that hers did by confidently submitting to your own husbands with honor purity and a hope established and fixed in God, not needing to fear the frightening idea of submitting to a man who's bound to get it wrong, but willing to submit yourself confidently and willingly to your husband, because your hope is ultimately in the Lord. Amen, I hope you heard the exhortation that Peter just gave the wives to put on Christ in your marriage, to be a spouse that shines the gospel into your marriage because Peter is bringing the same exhortation to you, to be a husband that shines Christ into your marriage. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I know, I, I know women in here are looking at this and going, wait, 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 guys get one? I had six, right? And that one calls me weaker? This doesn't seem fair. But understand, this verse is absolutely pregnant with things and calls for the man. See, what Peter is going to say is that husbands are called to be a spouse that shines Jesus into their marriage and to their wives in two very specific ways, through effort and through honor. And so let's, let's look at the effort God calls us to, men. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. See, in this context that Peter's writing into, it's a man's world. This is a world, the way that the world looked at the women in much of society in this time was as though the wife was more of a commodity than a person. In Roman law, the woman was born under what was called patria protas, or protestas, or the father's power, which gave all the rights of the woman to her father. And upon marriage, she would pass this on to to the wife's husband. So the woman in the larger culture viewed women as forever a child, consistently under the foot of the man. See, what Peter says here is incredibly countercultural to the culture at large. What Peter says is that the Christian husband doesn't stand over his wife in power, The Christian husband comes alongside of her in intimacy. Amen, hear me. Intimacy, not just sexually. See, there's a huge difference. Intimacy requires that you are not only present to your wife in body, but also emotionally and spiritually. This means that you don't let your wife see you... er don't just let your wife see you, but the, you let her know you. Your hopes, your fears, your desires, your struggles. Do you live intimately with your wives? This takes effort, this takes pur- purposeful conversations, date nights where we set down the phone, leave it at home. intentional interaction with your wife in ways that are present, open, and intimate. But see, Peter does not just say to make an effort to live intimately with your wives, but he also says in an understanding way. The Greek here is katagnosis, which literally means with knowledge. So that begs the question, with knowledge of what? Some scholars will say this means with knowledge of your wives. Others will say that this means with knowledge of God and his story. And others, and I think rightly so, say this means to live with your wife intimately, with knowledge of her and of the God you you serve and his redemptive story. listen, I remember as a kid watching an old show called Newlyweds. And the idea here was that they would take three couples and they would... And the wives would leave the room and they'd look at the men and they'd ask them some questions. Questions like, what has been the biggest shock living with your wife? And after they go through about four or five of these, they'd call the wives back in and they'd ask them the same question, but slightly different. Instead of, what has been the biggest shock in living with you? They'd ask, what do you think your husband said when we asked him what has been the biggest shock in living with you? Man, it was crazy to me how the wives would consistently nail it. But then they'd flip it. And they'd ask the, ask the wives the questions with the husbands out of the room. And there was usually two things that were funny to me. First was the kind of deer-in-the-headlights look of most husbands when they were asked, what do you, how do you think your wife responded? Like, like, what? How do I think she responded? And the second was the couple that inevitably won was the couple that the wife didn't just respond, the que- respond to the question at face value, but she responded in the way that she thought her husband would think she would respond. See, these ladies knew their men. These women had not only stutter- studied what their men did, but also tried to understand how he thought. It was fascinating. And See, this is what Peter here is calling men to do. Study your wives. Know them intimately. Try to understand how they think, how they feel, how they respond in different situations. What are their stress points? What makes them feel appreciated? What makes them feel cherished? See, this will take all of your effort, men, and the rest of your days. Do we study our wives like this? And men, hear me, it doesn't end. Your wife is significantly different now, years later, and with kids later, than when you met. So we're called to learn our wives, to study them. It's going to take our effort. But see, it isn't just enough to to make effort to get to know your wife, but the responsibility in marriage is also going to take your effort. To learn about God and his redemptive story, to know the gospel and to see how it interacts with all with all of life, to see how the story of God is to shape the hopes, the fears, the desires, and the rhythms of a follower of Jesus. I know, I know that we've got car guys here, we've got music guys, we've got sports guys, we've got fix-it guys. Right, we got computer guys. Do we have Bible guys? Do we have men who make intentional effort to understand the biblical, the biblical narrative and to know God intimately? Now listen, I know what you're, you're probably saying. I'm not a pastor. Isn't that what church is for? Like, is there a book I can buy or something? But listen to me, husbands. Every man who is here that is married, is a pastor. You are a shepherd. You are not just called to lead your wife wherever you desire. You are called to lead her in the same way that Jesus leads his church. The same way our pastors are called to lead this church in the way of discipleship, in pursuit of knowing God and worshiping him more fully. So we show our wives Jesus by putting effort into her discipleship. But see, effort isn't the only way that Peter says we are supposed to show uh, Jesus to our wives, but also through honor. When he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So let's talk about it. Right? What does Peter mean here by weaker vessel? Now, I think Peter has two ideas in mind here. First, this verse is in context of what? Authority and submission, right? I think there's an idea here of wives being weaker by the vulnerable position they are in by submitting to their husband. They're vulnerable to the decisions you make. So Peter says, honor her by making decisions aware of her weaker position. So how do we do that? Well, we listen to them. We we value their ideas and input, especially on the tough decisions to be made. We're not dictators dropping edicts in our homes. But we show our wives that we value them, even though and especially because they're called to submit. We listen to our wives and do not make decisions without gathering their input. Now I think this is the first thing that Peter has in mind here, but the second is the reality that women in their physically form are genu- generally weaker than men. Now I say generally because there's always someone who's like, "Nah, I, I I know this. I know this couple. The wife's like a world-class weightlifter and the guy's a computer programmer never, never lifted a thing in his life." But that's an anomaly. Gen generally men are bigger, stronger, and faster than their female counterparts and generally have more testosterone muscle mass and generally have a frame that is bigger and stronger than their wives and Peter is saying husbands look at your wives are you using your size in a way that honors her do you deal tenderly with your wives or are you using your size to intimidate her? See, this in Peter's day especially was a countercultural view of the way that men looked at women. While much of the rest of the culture would look at the woman, and see her weakness, see her weaker structure, and conclude she has less value, Peter's saying that Christian husbands, we look at our wives, we notice the same thing, but we ascribe them more value. So what does that mean? This means that we protect our wives. And I'm going to say this. Men, we protect all women, no matter what it costs us. We don't use our size to intimidate. We only use our size to protect and defend. See, the wives are called to lay down their wills to the husband's will. But the men are called to lay down their very lives for their wives. Because the women, contrary to what the popular culture said about women in this day, Peter will say, are co-heirs with men of the grace of life. They've been made in the image of God. They've received the same blessing of life. They are equal in value, value, dignity, and worth. So, men, hear me. We are called to honor the women by laying down our lives for her in effort, in protection, in making sure she always feels honored and valued. Because this is how we show her Christ. This is how we are a spouse that shines the glory of God in, in our marriage. Because this is how Jesus has dealt with his bride. He made effort to make himself known. Coming in human form and saying, if you know me, you know the Father. This is what I am am like. See, Jesus lived vulnerably, showing perfectly what the Father was like. He became Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus didn't just live to be known. He entered into this world to understand his bride, the church. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus came to sympathize with his bride. He came to know her. He came not to exploit her weakness, but to lay down his life for it, so that she could flourish. Husbands, Our task is to live like Jesus did, to know and be known intimately, to protect and lay down our very lives for our wives. And Peter says that how we do it will not only affect our prayers, but the prayers of our entire home. So let's look at this passage again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter says, fellas, take your role seriously, because the way you walk this out, the way that you use your God-given authority in your marriage will either encourage or hinder the prayers of your home. The your Peter uses here in in the Greek is plural. It's both of your prayers. Husbands, hear me, the amount of intimacy that you cultivate in your marriage through effort and honor has a direct correlation to the frequency and effect- effectiveness of the prayers of your home. Now hear me, as I close, maybe you're a spouse in here that looks at all the ways the spouse has been called to live, and you actually feel discouraged. You're discouraged because you're not confident they will ever come around, especially those with unbelieving or marginally believing spouses. And you feel that this is a piece of you that will always remain empty. But hear me, I want to remind you that for Christians, marriage is not where we go to have our felt needs met. But our earthly marriages that our, our earthly marriages are not really the marriage that we all long for. Our longings will never be satisfied by being united to our spouse through marriage. Rather, the longings of the hearts, the deepest needs, the deepest desires of our hearts, will only find satisfaction by being united to Christ in faith. So marriage for the Christian then becomes the place where we are more and more fully able to live as as people who display to the world What it is like to have our desires already satisfied. Met fully in him. Wives by selflessly subjecting themselves to their husbands. And husbands by continually exercising their authority in selfless ways. And now listen. The culture around us isn't going to understand why we do marriage the way we do. We're exiles. We're sojourners. What Peter's saying is let them look at the standard that we're calling men to, to walk in authority, and what we're calling women to, to submit to that authority. Let them say that we are backwards and evil, but then let them walk into our homes and see it faithfully lived out. The wife coming under her husband with respect and honor and the husband using his authority to selflessly care for his wife make sure that she flourishes. Let them look at our marriage and see the picture of Christ, the one to whom our hearts are truly desired to be married to. And let them walk out of our homes and glorify God in that day. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot here There's a big call. There's a scary call. There's, there's um, things that are said here that run completely countercultural to what we've been raised in, the culture we've been raised in, the ideas we have behind marriage. But, Father, the consistent theme throughout this passage, the consistent um, theme of it is that you've already walked out, what it means to submit fully. Trusting in God. You've already walked out what it means to lay down your life for your wife, your bride, the church. So, Father, as we look at that, let us not just look at it in ways that that's what you've called us to and to pattern ourselves after, but let us look to that and find satisfaction in all you've done for us already. Let us live out of that satisfaction in our marriages in a way that brings us much joy, and gives you ultimate glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.